Welcome to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. Your host is Andy Ford, one of today's leading innovators. Our show is about how ideas and technology come together to form the most buzzed about products of the 21st century. Specifically, what goes into the thought process of these innovations and the channels they go through to get to the marketplace. Now, here is Andy Ford. Welcome to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. I'm your host, Andy Ford, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri at Brado's HQ. Joining me is Mitch Myers. Mitch, I'm going to give you an introduction in just a second. Uh, as always, you can hit us up uh, at uh, andy.ford at brado.net if you want some questions for Mitch during the show. You can follow us at Brado Insight on Twitter, or you can hit me up at aford on Twitter. Uh, Mitch Myers is my guest today, and I got to read a little bit about the bio, Mitch, because it's a, it's not circuitous, but you've been in a lot of industries and done and done a lot of things, and but it's taken you to here today, and so uh, Mitch uh, is. And I'm going to get to what she's doing today. But Mitch started uh, after several years in accounting in the auditing field. She realized that marketing and product development was really where she wanted to be. And so she was hired uh, for Anheuser-Busch to introduce Bud Light, uh, which is now, by the way, the largest selling beer in the world, if you can believe that. I can't, actually. Uh, AB subsequently put her in charge of leading their new products group for six years. She was named Adweek's Advertising Woman of the Year in 1996. And after leaving there, she formed a marketing and brand development agency called the Zipatoni Company. Uh, that worked uh, with many Fortune 100 companies delivering strategic insights and business development programs. She and her partners built the agency to 350 employees, offices in five states and $42 million in revenue before they got bought by the Interpublic Group in 2003. Since that time, she's entered the cannabis industry receiving a dispensary license in the highly competitive Illinois medical market. The following year, she received a cultivation, production, and and dispensing license from Missouri Missouri for CBD to treat epilepsy. She continues to consult with companies around the the country on cannabis business. You can find her website at creativecannabisconsultancy.com, and we'll get that into the bio as well. Uh, Mitch's seasoned marketing expertise coupled with her passion for the plant products and the ultimate patients makes her one of the leading faces of the cannabis industry. And I know that for a fact. Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you. That's what you call an old alley cat. <laughs> you know, I, I've had a chance to read about 11 resumes for this series. This is our, and I mentioned this to you prior to the show, is this is our pilot season. For this show, I can tell you that one of the uniform sort of things that I've noticed throughout a uh, bio, uh, not unlike yours, is it's a lot of diversity. Right. I mean, at AB, started in auditing, then started an agency. Right. Now over in CBD and I know recreational cannabis. I mean, right. it's why so much diversity? Are you just bored all the time? I just, you know, I think it's the kind of person that you are. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. I mean, I my background is in accounting and finance is my education. And I spent two years doing that thinking, what the hell am I doing here? You know, this is not very fun. And, you know, the people are all very rigid. And so I looked around at the marketing department and I saw women with bright lipstick and high heels. And I thought, I want to go there. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I'm very inquisitive I like to learn I call myself a lifelong learner and I really think that that sort of makes the best 
marketing person, someone that's just interested in understanding why people do things or how do you make this or how do you position this product to this particular group. And it's, you know, it's just taken me a lot of diverse places and I've loved everything I've done. You know, it's funny uh, when I look back at your career and I think, I mean, I, of course, know these well-known brands. Uh, I know who Zipatoni is. I, I, coming from the agency business myself, work with people who were at Zipatoni or started there, went there, left, all moved around. But when it comes to innovation and, and I think back to your AB days and having all of that experience in, in beverages, were there things you picked up along the way that you just thought these are some truths or just some human elements that come in that every innovator sort of possesses or needs to possess? You know, I, I learned a lot being at Anheuser-Busch because it was obviously an intimidating place for a 23-year-old, especially female, to go at the time. It was very much a male locker room. And, you know, I thought, I know nothing and I'm going to learn from these guys, you know, the best way to market. And clearly they gave us enough money. I mean, when we introduced Bud Light in 1982, our budget was $100 million. In 82. In 1982. And you can be very creative. But what I learned very quickly was if the message doesn't really resonate with your consumer, doesn't matter how much money you spend. And we literally reintroduced that brand three times to make it stick and made a lot of changes Um, And people now think, oh, that was just a rocket ship from the beginning, and it was not. It's it's funny, though, when you think about that. I, I too, had this mindset of in 1982, you just stood up a bunch of NFL players and said, you know, drink the beer. That's right. But it it didn't quite work that way. It did not. And, you know, we were very serious about our beer. When you put Budweiser name on something, um, it's got to be the best. And so the management really wanted us to speak about quality and the product. And, you know, the beer drinker didn't really care about that. They assumed that came with it, but they were a little bit more lighthearted and wanted to be entertained. And until we figured that out, um, we didn't really have, it wasn't sticking. It's funny that you then took that expertise. And by the way, six more years of innovation at AB. New products, um, wine coolers, soft drinks, bottled waters, um, all of the things that their distributors were taking on at the moment. And so that was rapid fire. You know, that was at least three years of just solid developing all these products, taking them to test market, figuring out a whole marketing platform. We bought some brands um, and it was incredible experience for me to then go run my own agency and work with a lot of diverse clients. Did that help you? That was the next question was, you know, you you had a go-to-market strategy, it sounds like, when you were at AB for a period of time, or when you were thinking, this is what the distributor's carrying, so let's start finding some ways to fill those pipelines. Did that translate over well for the agency life, helping you with it, think about your clients and how you help them navigate the marketplace? You know, I think what helped what helped our agency, and there were a lot in St. Louis. There's a great talent base here uh, in terms of agency people, but what helped us, I think, was my partner was incredibly creative, but not very disciplined. Mm. And he has a childlike mind, which I loved because everything was fresh and new. It wasn't, you know, an ad torn out of a magazine for the car company, give it to the beer guys. It was all new thinking. But he really needed someone to package and sell that to brand managers in corporate America. And because I sat in their seat, 
there was a regard for my background, I also knew what their pain points were and how they needed to present and what the timelines were. So our, our yin and yang connection is what made it work. And because we were the leaders of the agency, that's how we hired and staffed and it really became powerful. You put those two pieces together, it sounds like all the way down we the did. agency. We did. You know, what's interesting is that you mentioned about missing the mark uh, initially with the beverage coming out because you didn't get the words right. Right. Okay? And then same thing when it came to selling to your clients who had been, you had been in their seat, it was really, it was finding the right message right. for them. The right. deliverable was this creative execution, but you found a way to get them to digest it. So a funny story about that. Um, we had gotten Coca-Cola as a client, and back in the day, Sergio Zeman was the vice president of marketing. He's this crazy Mexican guy, you know, very passionate and loud. And so he called me into his office, you know, one day and said, you know, Mitch Myers, where are the big ideas? You know, we hired your agency to get the big ideas. And I said, Sergio, the ideas for your company are in our dumpster because your brand managers won't buy big ideas. And he said, he looked at me and said, I hired you to keep those ideas out of the dumpster. And he was right. So he was like, you need to make the case, get my brand managers to have the courage you know, to bring it forward. I mean, it's like Bud Light. It's like on the Bud Light brand when Spuds McKenzie was something we wanted to bring forward. Our senior management cut it off at the knees and said, we will never do a dog. And I literally brought it back eight months later in a very small program. And when my boss saw it, he said, you could get fired. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, it's just a simple, I think it's a good idea. I think it's funny. I'm more the target than they are. And I was too stupid and young to know that that was a fireable offense. <laughs> that was a fireable offense. So I did it anyway. And um, interestingly, you know, a lot of those same senior management four years later took a lot of credit for it. But, you know, what that tells me and taught me was big ideas don't come wrapped up in a bow. All right. You know, it's not, you don't say, here's a million dollar idea. You have to take a little idea and figure out does it work and keep you know massaging it in the marketplace, give it a little oxygen, clean it up, and it can turn into a big idea. And I think a lot of people you know don't realize, they think you gotta go out and spend $10 million and then, oh, here's the big idea. It's funny too, is that you think about like what Sergio challenged you to do and what I think about when I help my clients or try to help my clients is how often do we as innovators let the people who we think have the brand own it kill an idea that you just inherently know this is a good idea and he was a smart marketer he challenged you to force them to have courage 98% of the time is what happens that and because they're scared you know, they're afraid to say, well, I don't care. I think it's a good idea. As a 24-year-old brand manager, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I do think that good clients pick agencies that they respect and trust them with the brand and say, you know, like, I was always so intrigued by Marlboro and, and Leo Burnett, 100 years, yeah. you know, they had that relationship and, and they were the brand. They transcended all the brand managers and you know, so it was really a respectful thing, in my opinion. What's well, interesting, too, is that, you know, I think probably the work you did at Zipatoni and, you know, certainly helping those clients is you probably had more knowledge about the brand than those people who are transitioning yes. every 18 yes. months. I mean, I mean, I know when we've worked yes. with some of our clients, it's, it's, it's like, about an 18 month they're moving. thing. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the best thing you can do is get get their trust. Mm. 
Um, get them to understand that you aren't there to make them look bad, that you're there to help them sell more product, introduce new products, whatever that might be. Um, and then I always tell them, blame the agency. You know, let us take these wacky ideas forward and you blame us if management, you know, throws up on it. Um, but if they don't, and that we can help you convince them this is the way to go, you know, you're going to have a better chance of getting promoted instead of just shoved aside. What gave you the courage to do that? I mean, I, I think about this now is that, I mean, if you, if I told someone who works at an agency, hey, you got to be brave and, and tell your client to dump on you if this thing goes sideways, I, they'd say, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I grew up with brothers and I grew up at Anheuser-Busch always getting Locker kind of, yeah, yeah, always getting elbowed around and you got to, you know, you have to stand your ground. And at some point when you're in business, you understand, I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I think it takes, I think it takes a few years of working, but at some point you get the chutzpah to say, you know what, this is the right thing to do. Let's try it. My guest is Mitch Myers. Uh, by the way, you can check her out uh, a lot of places. Also, uh, beliefco.com is one website, but creativecannabisconsultancy.com. Uh, I know you're helping um not just in Missouri, I want to talk about this too, is the changing face of hemp and, and CBD oil and cannabis and right. recreation. There's a lot of space yeah. to navigate in that. Um, and then when I come back, we've got a, an email already has come through with a question and I kind of want to follow up on that. Uh, you're listening to Innovation Insiders. My guest is Mitch Myers. We'll be right back after this break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. The Brado Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Brado's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Brado, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net, B-R-A-D-O.net. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit brado.net again that's b-r-a-d-o.net now back to the show welcome back to innovation insiders uh, i am andy ford you can reach me at a ford on twitter uh, or email andy.ford at brado.net for questions for our guest mitch myers uh, mitch just got you know over talking about your career how fascinating it was to go from for me at least i don't know about for you but for babe from anheuser-busch working in innovation and marketing to zipatoni which was a, a big agency and now over in the industry uh you know hemp and cbd oil i mean recreational all those other things that come into that you can catch Matt, mitch at creative cannabis consultancy.com which by the way, congratulations on the alliteration. I love that. <laughs> C3. Email that we got uh, going to break, and, and, and a lot of our innovators have talked about the importance of an innovator being almost like a salesman for ideas. Right. And, and you just talked about that, is that you, know, you had to sell Spuds McKenzie in multiple times, and then you even, as if a Tony, gave your clients license to have courage to sell. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, sales is everything, right? To be successful in life, you have to know how to sell. I mean, in a marriage, you have to know how to sell. So I always, I do a lot of speaking at colleges and marketing classes and because people want to know, how did you get to where you got? Um, and I will, I always tell people, I think that it's the biggest skill set that they need to develop and good communication skills. Um you know, to, to sell creative, to sell your team on working better together, to sell your management on giving you a raise. I mean, every aspect of your life is a quality sales job. Mm-hmm. And people, I think, when they get out of college need to go take a sales job, the first thing they do. That's, a, that's great advice. I now think about this as a guy with a daughter her sophomore, her sophomore right. year, is it really, truly, no matter where she goes, if she wants her agenda, her That's ideas, exactly right. her opportunity, somebody's got to be pitched. Right. Somebody's got to buy in. Right. And you her. have to know how to craft that argument. Mm. You know, what are what are the reasons why and, and how do I sell that? What's the elevator pitch, right? So we learned that being in the agency, but some of us come by it naturally. And I always, my dad was a salesman. He sold insurance. And at night, he would sit at the dinner table and want to tell his sales stories. And I was the only one that would listen. My brothers were always out, you know, chasing at rabbits with BB guns. And I listened. <laughs> and I swear that's where I got the interest in it and the ability to do it. Is that, 
is part of it, and I'm thinking that, you know, just I know you a little bit. I wouldn't pretend to know you a lot. Uh, but it, I think you sound like, just looking at your career path and then listening to you talk about that, there's at least some level of the unexpected or adventure that comes in with a sale as well. I mean, how many times have you been told no? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and and I really, you know, what the industry that I'm in now has, there have been huge challenges and a lot of no's. And I literally just get very quiet inside and start, you know, relishing in how am I going to sell this doctor to participate in this medical cannabis program? So it really becomes a challenge that I enjoy um, trying to sell people off of no. You're right. That's a great, I love that. It sounds to me like when you start thinking about these challenges, it's a, it's a puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's a, some, somewhat of a mystery. There is a bit of an adventure in it for you. Yes. Uh, yes. You mentioned the industry that you're in now, and, and I, having watched from the, the sidelines mostly, tell me what's the state of cannabis like, and I, I don't want to start in Missouri. I mean, you've right. got a broad right. perspective. What's it look right. like? Explain that to our listeners. Well, I started at this in 2014 when Illinois uh, permitted uh, medical licenses, and I led a team to apply for cultivation and dispensary licenses. And I spent literally a year researching and traveling to California and Colorado where they're already doing it, meeting cultivators, meeting extractors, understanding how doctors write recommendations or not. And I will tell you, it has been like a rocket ship since 2014. I've only been in it four years, but in in cannabis years, it's like 20. And I know a lot of people in the industry. And what has happened is it's come from being in the shadows. You know, California uh, in 20 years ago had a medical bill, but it was very gray and their rules and regulations weren't worked out. So that really was the beginning, but it didn't get us off on the right foot because the regulations weren't there. So, you know, I laugh because I went to conferences four years ago and there's a lot of tatted up guys and trucker hats and gauges in their ears and I could get on the treadmill at six in the morning, no worries. This year, you know, there were 400 400 people there then. This year there were 12,000 people attending the same conference, all bankers, lawyers, treadmills are full at 6 a.m., you know, no more trucker hats and tats. So I have kind of seen it come from the stoner crowd to the real grown-up business people and the serious money and the serious medical and research that's going on around the world. So it's been fascinating. It's it, To me, there's, first of all, now there's like 15 questions that I have on that. It's a, could you, and, and the first one I'm gonna say is, could you name another business with the same corollary to that? No, and people ask me, you know, I'm old and I've, I've had a great career and I should be like home playing with baby, with grandkids, but you know, I'm in the weed business <laughs> and people are like, why are you doing this? Why are you working so hard? And because I'm a lifelong learner, I am so fascinated at what is happening and how quickly it's happening. And when you, when you look at the industry, I know, I know in my lifetime, I won't see another industry like this to participate in. So this is the beginning of the internet. Yeah, that's, that's a great line. I was just sitting here thinking is that this is almost like, is there like a Moore's law application here is, you know, that, that it Moore's law is it just, it compounds on itself. It gets faster and faster yes. and faster. Yes. And now you saw from 400 people to 12,000 people right. and the crowd changes. Right. Um, and my question is not from a medical point of view, because from a medical point of view, I got to think that that change is good. From a recreational point of view, 
do you think it's losing some of the motif that some of those 20-year-old, 20-year-ago stoners are going to miss or love? Um, Yes. And, And I think what's happening is we have finally realized in mass that our, you know, our drug laws are failed. It has cost so much money to this country. It has ruined so many people's lives. You know, people now that can't get employed because they got thrown in jail for 10 years for carrying a bag, you know, a bag of cannabis. Um, We can't do that anymore. It's not sustainable. And cartels were making all the money on the recreational cannabis. What happens when you legalize it is it's, it's harder for young people to get their hands on. It's coming from regulated sources, so there are no pesticides and things like that. It's taxed and regulated, and what that creates is tax revenue for states that badly need it and jobs, jobs, jobs. Yeah. So right now, they estimate there's probably you know, a half a million people employed in the country, in the cannabis space, and it's good paying, safe jobs. These are not coal mining jobs. These are good jobs. You know, people who like to grow, who like to cultivate, chemists who can work with extracting oils out of these plants, you know, uh, research people that we're being approached by SLU Research, wanting to do research because they know this could potentially be a big help for this opiate crisis that we have. It's funny, too, when you start thinking about, like, the, the changing face of the industry. And then now I, I, my question is, what brought about that change? Is it why did it take so long for this to become a a force that, you know, there's, because I'm just, the only reason I say that is that, I mean, look at the jobs that are available. Look at, you know, I mean, opiates being one piece, you know, legalizing and helping it to literally calm. and uh, You know, I will give California credit again, because 20 years ago they got in medically and there are so many good doctors and people there that have helped cancer patients, fibromyalgia, epilepsy, you name it. They have managed thousands of patients over the last 20 years. So when people started seeing, oh, this plant really isn't that harmful. You you can't overdose on it like you can opiates. It did help me with this, or it did reduce my tumor size or stop my kids' epilepsy tumors or tremors. You know, it's it's sort of like, wait a minute, somebody's not telling us the truth about this. And it has taken 20 years. You know, the Colorado approved for medical in 2009, and after a couple of years of that, and people start, you're going to have people in Illinois and Missouri that have been treated successfully with it. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, that's not so bad. You know, I, I know eight-year-old children that have been treated with cancer so that they could keep doing their chemo so they could eat and keep their strength up. You know, that whole family, that whole unit, everybody that knows them is like, now they're for it. So I think we got we got to this tipping point, and now we're kind of, you know, roller coasting down the front side of it, and it becomes, how do you regulate it? How do you, the, prop, the federal government needs to get out of the way. We're kind of in that sticking point right now because it's harming banking and, you know, investment dollars. But pretty soon, I think you're going to see it be rescheduled. Then that changes the entire industry because big pharmaceutical companies can get in and big alcohol and tobacco can get in on the rec side. And they, I'm sure, are waiting in the wings. Not even waiting. They got their wallets out. (laughs) Is it? And I have to admit, and this is sort of my uh, southern uh, roots, midwestern uh, heritage right now, is that the first time I got a recreational card 
for a project that I worked in California. <laughs> I felt like I was naughty walking yes. into the dispensary. Yes. I was a little bit like, is there some of that sort of like that just misguided or puritanical sort of yes. mindset that holds back? Well, that's where you live. I mean, if you had been, if you've been in Colorado the last couple of years, it's so normalized. You know, people bring it like they bring gooey butter cake to a party. You know, they'll bring ca- cannabis brownies or fudge or whatever. Um, it's completely normalized. I took my 87-year-old mom into a dispensary because she has trouble sleeping, and I just let her go through the process. You know, and when she came out, she had this great cappuccino, you know, bar. And I said, Mom, did you think that felt uncomfortable? Was that weird? She's like, no, it's great. So once it becomes normalized, you know, people will kind of calm down here. And it's here, isn't it? It's your, it's your it point. Is when you're in Colorado, when yeah. you're on the West no. Coast, I, I realized very quickly when I was sitting in, you know, a dispensary, and, and no one's looking at me. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm not on trial here. That nothing is happening. Yeah, and you walk outside. I did. Like, what I, did. Do I, I did. I did. I did a bag? walk outside. I was like looking around the corner. Like, have I done something I should do? Um, my guest is Mitch Myers, and we're talking about sort of the changing face of the industry as it relates to cannabis medically uh, and also recreationally. When we come back, I got a couple of questions uh, that we're going to dive into on that you're listening to innovation insiders stick around we'll be right back after these messages follow us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn we hear it and read about it every day in the news america is heading over a fiscal cliff Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. The Grotto Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Grotto's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Grotto, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests 
itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net. B-R-A-D-O dot net. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit brado.net. Again, that's B-R-A-D-O dot net. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight. I'm your host, Andy Ford. Uh, as we were going to break, I started to get some uh, emails, questions for Mitch, uh, my guest, Mitch Myers, who's with me today. Uh, you can reach Mitch at creativecannabisconsultancy.com uh, or stalk her on LinkedIn. That's what she really wants you to do. Uh, that's, that's a joke. Yeah, she, like does that. not, she does not I like that. that. Uh, the question we, we got that came through on email, that's me checking my phone. My phone, not me bored Either looking board. at Twitter. Um, and the question is, is there con- some concern that the federal government is going to try to step in and shut down some level of this industry? We were not concerned because when Trump was campaigning, he was very much in support of medical. And we felt being just the business revenue guy that he is, that he would see the benefit of taxing and regulating you know, recreational Unfortunately, he appointed Beauregard Sessions, um, and he just has a personal vendetta on, on this plant and continues to really spread lies and untruths about its harmfulness. Um, you know, he's trying to link the opiate crisis with cannabis, and there's no way. No one believes that. Physicians don't support that. The science doesn't support it. It's pharmaceuticals that are creating the addiction. So he is a concern because he continues to, you know, make people worried that he's going to roll back regulations and banks, especially who were looking to to tread into this, um, are now sort of have cold feet until he either gets the hook by Trump or, you know, somebody sets him down. But he's always got many congressional people against him, attorney generals from states that already have programs that see it working well. You know, New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania are all talking about going wreck. They need this, the revenue. Is that, and, and, you know, to peel this back, and, and by the way, thank you for giving us that overlay, because I was really curious, you know, somebody who's in the industry, how you viewed it. Uh, but now thinking about that as an innovator, and I'm going back to our earlier conversation in the show about you giving a brand manager or uh, somebody on your team license, courage to go ahead and innovate. Now, how do you address these potential short pitfalls and problems with investors or companies or people you're trying to work with? Well, you know, we, it's a sales job. You know, we are always looking to how do we take people that are being helped? Um, so I just got off the phone before I came here with a veterans group. Mm. You know, PTSD is very well controlled on this and veterans are dying for access. So there may be, you know, another way that we can sell in the back door of the Department of Justice going through the Veterans Administration. And when all of their members are saying, we need this, we need access to this, that's a powerful voice. Um, Obviously, children with epilepsy who were so well helped, you know, using these 
these real people who have had access that are thriving now with it is how we sell in this industry. Honestly, the money the money is there and it's coming every day faster and faster. They are not being dissuaded because too many states have gone too many, there's too much revenue involved. Is that funny? Is that, you know, you think about this from a medical point of view and in, in a social point of view, I say social, I mean, PTSD, uh, not just medical, uh, but also psychological, all kinds of issues that that gets everybody sort of warm, warm and fuzzy feeling. Right, right. But then when you start talking about dollars, cash, I mean, that moves a needle in a big way. Yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, California, they, they claim will be a six billion dollar industry in five years and a billion dollars in taxes a year. People are happily paying the tax to yeah. have access. Yeah. So you have states that are pretty much bankrupt like Illinois. I don't know how we say no to that. People are doing it anyway. The interesting thing is, as cannabis is legalized state by state, you don't see the overall usage of cannabis increasing. It just goes from unregulated to regulated. Now, what happened in this, I know last year, uh, 2017 was the last year that uh, California would be medical only. And so right. it was, and I remember being in California and at least some people in the industry thought things are going to change. Everything's going to be different. Yes. It's going to be so much, I don't know, maybe better, maybe worse, unknown right. when 2018 right. rolled. As someone who knows this industry very well, what happened? It's a hot mess there right now because there are there were thousands of growers. I mean, think about it. These little farmers in Sonoma and you know Humboldt County, right. they were growing outdoors in these protected spaces and you know driving tubs of cannabis to a couple of dispensaries and you know selling it, hand selling it. Now you can't do that anymore. You have to have licenses you have to demonstrate that all your products tested it all has to be packaged Mm -hmm. so all these little farmers don't have packaging facilities they've either got to go out and buy that and get in that business or they have to work with co-packers the other thing that's happened is all these layers of uh, manufacturing um, distributing delivery all of these sort of you know areas are springing up and people are rushing to it so Right now, it's kind of like uh, there's a big demand for product um, and there's not enough legal stuff in the system yet because everybody isn't licensed in all their places. It's got to be that industry is I know just at least from a causality of conversations that I've had is pulling salespeople over from like food service you and machine sales and all those other pieces. You bet it is. No, actually, nursing and anybody Anybody who can talk to people, medical will still be a big piece of that. There. Everywhere. Um, Everywhere. Because the truth is, people medicate with different things. You know, some people go home and drink a couple glasses of wine to get rid of the stress and unwind. In California, we heard them say... You know, they'll they'll light up or they'll get their vape pen or they'll eat a gummy while they're making dinner for their yeah. family. You know, it is it's a medication of some sort. You know, so you've launched brands for major companies, right? And now you're launching or, or helping launch brands in category that really has not existed has not had on the brands. shelf. Right. And so that's what's so exciting for me is 
the branding aspect is just starting. But if you think about it, it's going to be the most important thing because if you can develop a big brand and take it across several states, that's what somebody's going to acquire, right? They're going to acquire the brand because a lot of people can grow and a lot of people can make oils. But if you have a brand name that's valuable, that's for sale. And that, <laughs> just knowing, you know, I'm picturing my head, and I'm trying not to picture this Cheech and Chong moment, you know what I mean? I'm trying not to do that. But I know that, you know, the names of recreational, medical, whatever you want to talk about, when people are talking about bud, when they're talking about the flower themselves, and then and they, they call it diesel, or right? Sour or diesel. Sour or, diesel, or yeah. orange kush. Right. Or those... But people don't understand. I want you to explain to our listeners, that's not a brand. Right. That's a, that's a strain. That is a strain. <laughs> and, you know, there are thousands of strains uh, in the world. And, you know, sour diesel was a strain originally, but it has been hybridized so many times that people don't even really know when they get sour diesel from dispensary to dispensary, is it the same? The science that's happening now behind the scene, um, a lot of people are not wanting to smoke flour because of the smell and the, you know, it's hard to conceal it. You can't do it in public places. So these vape pens have become very popular. And the way you extract oil out of plants and get it into that vape pen, you know, people are looking for a feeling. So if they want to be want to be uplifted, they're going to get a pen that has, you know, a sativa in it that is going to uplift them. Doesn't really matter the strain name. Um, if they want to relax or sleep, they're going to get an indica strain, and that's more. That's how the industry is going. Strain names will be less and less important. And it'll be more about the feeling that you're going yes. for, finding that moment. That, well, I mean, to your point, is another sort of an interesting spin on this industry is that I feel like at this point in time, when I've gone in to talk to those bud tenders, is that they're very technically minded. I mean, it's a little bit like talking to uh, an apothecary in the 1700s. Right. I mean, they've got all these terms and all these feelings. Right. Who's the target right now? And what do they want to know? When it comes to their, you know, the options on what right, to, are you know, up right. or down, a feeling, an emotion, what? There's a lot of information. There's a lot to learn about cannabis, and it's all fascinating. So, you know, depending on where you are in the state of California, because they've been at it a long time, many people understand. Um, but in a new market like Illinois, when medical rolled out, you know, we would see we would see older people. Frankly, Our, the the biggest selling customer was female 55 and older dealing with fibromyalgia or a cancer of some sort, Crohn's, something like that. So obviously there's a lot to communicate to them and we need to learn a lot about them because there's other medications we're dealing with. But in a recreational market, people who are doing cannabis love this plant. They can't get enough information. They're on Instagram, they're on YouTube, trying to figure out how to make their own oils. So bud tenders who are really knowledgeable are important and they're going to be fought after. They'll be highly compensated people in these dispensaries. Finally. Right. So because they have good information and they can educate people quickly and that's what's going to make people want to come to your dispensary. When you think about the brands now the or the future tense of these brands and you having been a marketer, having been an innovator and then when you think about what you're going to create, what your companies, who you're going to help reach out to, who's that customer that you think 
everybody ought to be really, well, maybe not everybody, you are going to center in on. I think it's going to be segmented. I mean, we know that boomers right now are the biggest users because, you know, we had a familiarity with it back in the 60s. We're not afraid of it. We now have disposable income that we can use it. Many of us, you know, aren't employed, so we don't care about, uh, you know, a job drug test or something. So boomers are always going to be big. But what we're seeing is females, 25 to 40, basically using this instead of alcohol in a health and wellness regimen. So there's a lot of yoga cannabis products, websites out there that you will find. Um, You know, I mean, some people will microdose in the morning instead of drinking caffeine. You know, I slam down three cups of coffee. Yeah. There's no difference, except that's probably healthier for you. So this, I'm just picturing... Uh, the Starbucks sort of, you know, Lululemon wearing in an SUV, drop the kids off, take a hit, and right. then go to yoga. Oh, I'll tell you, all those moms on the parking lot have a vape pen in their pocket yeah. or a couple of gummies. <laughs> so I'm talking to Mitch Myers. Uh, Mitch, when we come back, we've got our last segment. It's called the Innovator's Confession. Mm-hmm. So stick around after these messages, and we're going to have a confession from Mitch. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. The Grotto Innovation Labs are a fleet of mobile laboratories equipped with the tools needed to conduct in-depth innovation sessions, including rapid prototyping whenever and wherever you want it to be. Each lab is equipped with 3D printers, laser cutters, modeling software, and prototyping tools. The lab makes it easy to put prototypes into the hands of those who will be charged with the manufacturing, marketing, selling, and ultimately consuming in as little as a single day. Grotto's Innovation Sprint streamlines what typically takes a month or longer into one intense productive week. At Grotto, we take an inside-out approach to innovation that marries your company's inside expertise with consumers' outside insight, all in the same room. Together, this process helps to inform, research, design, and create alignment for your innovations. Our pursuit of intense empathy and innovation manifests itself in many ways, transforming traditional components of research into something much more powerful. For more information, visit brado.net. B-R-A-D-O.net. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. 
Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Innovation Insiders with Brado Creative Insight with Andy Ford. For more information about Brado, please visit Brado.net. Again, that's B-R-A-D-O dot net. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Innovation Insiders. Uh, my Mitch is Mitch Myers. Mitch, we've had a fascinating conversation, and I know we've got tons of emails that I haven't even had a chance to get to with these questions. So thank you. It's been really interesting. Now we're going to center in on what we call the Innovator's Confession. All right, so it's rapid fire sort of questions that you know you just get a chance to cleanse the palate on these <laughs> things. Okay, great. Okay, so surprise me. Tell me something, uh, an innovation that might catch all of us off guard in the next five years. Well, I being in the cannabis space, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see alcohol beverages with a cannabis infused alcohol beverage, but the alcohol will be removed. So the mood lift will come from the cannabis and the taste of the beverage, carbonation, you know, whatever, will not. So the benefits of that are no hangover, no liver damage, but still that same social feeling. Because one of the things we hear is people still want to go out with friends and have a cocktail, but if you have a cocktail and do cannabis, it's too much. So... Alcohol beverage companies are right here. They're talking to the cannabis industry. And they're ready for that. Yes. You know, what's interesting to me about that is when we think about innovation, and one of the things we often say is, can you build in our, sometimes we say tech, or our DNA into the experience? And that's what that is, is the experience is, I have my cocktail, now I get a chance to sip and enjoy it for another 30, 45 minutes. Right. But... The health benefits, the right. lack of residual—that's that's really dynamic. Right. And and the the when that's going to happen is when the cannabis industry can control, you know, exactly how much and what yeah. the effect is. And because right there. now, right, that right now it's all over the board. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some chocolate bars that if you had a nib of that, you're on the floor <laughs> for a bit. Okay, what are the top three words to describe an innovative individual? Um, uh, good communicator. Uh, clear, I would say childlike uh, focus. If you can clear your mind and see things um, like a child would see them without judgment, without filters, that really helps. Um, And then being fearless, you know, really going after trying to put together an idea and sell it in the best way you can. And when you get no, turn around and figure out how to repackage and resell it. Um, because that part, I think, is what's lacking in a lot of people. They may get the first two right, but then when they get told no, they go away and say, oh, well, on to the next project. Yeah. They get, it's funny, too, is I think about that. When you said communicator, and I kept thinking about our conversation about sales, is that it's really not about sales, is it? It's really about finding the right set of words to use. Right. I mean, sales is the way you kind of... And, you know, you have to do your homework. You have to be seen as credible when you sell it, and you have to use as few words as possible. But then how much passion do you have for the idea? You know, I've been able to sell clergy and cops and 
mayors on having a cannabis facility in their town because I'm passionate about it. Is there anything you haven't been able to sell people? I mean, honestly, I mean, we're talking about... It's a good. It's a good thing you've actually chosen a cannabis instead of another <laughs> exactly. line of work. Exactly. Uh, other than your own company, and we could talk about several, but other than your own, what company do you think is the most innovative in the world today? Well, I would say uh, whatever Elon Musk touches. Um, I am such a huge fan and have such a crush on him. And if anybody can get me his phone number, I would be so grateful. Um, but to think about the problems that he's thinking about innovating, um, you know, he has created this whole battery scenario to try to get us off the power grid. And we're working very hard in the state of Missouri to get our industrial hemp bill passed because hemp has been shown to be an unbelievable um uh, you know, raw ingredient for batteries instead of graphene, which we import from China. Yeah. So if he's going to build a million square foot battery plant, why not right here in the middle of the country and we can grow all the hemp he needs around him uh, to create that product. You know, I did not know that, that, that hemp could be used in that way. And hemp I know that got Apple 20, has 20,000 uses. I mean, and Apple has invested so much money in graphene because right. of the limited right. resource. Right. And it's expensive. Hemp is one five hundredth the cost of graphene. So it and it's great for the farmers because it provides them another rotational crop. Um, it's a win-win all around. We just had to get our politicians in the boat, which is hard. <laughs> How many politicians have you spoken with in the last year? Do you think? Hundreds. I mean, hundreds. Because you're, I mean, literally having to yes. rationalize. You have or... to go sell every one of them personally. You got to be in their office. You've got to, you know, be in front of committee hearing meetings and present there and take their questions. And it truly is just about education. Yeah. Most of them have not caught up with the science and what's happening. And if they take time to listen, right. it's a pretty easy set. Is there an advocacy or, uh, I know him doesn't have the same kind of presence in D.C. that other groups do. I mean, cotton and oil. Right. And these, but have you found, is there an effective group of people who are out there lobbying for hemp? You know what? No. They're just, every state has a few people that have tried to get it going in their are state. You, are you Missouri and Illinois? Is that sort of like, they're yes. like, okay, you got the Midwest. Yes. There. It's just yes. So, okay. um, actually, one of our partners has been trying to get this going because he wants to create the the manufacturing and the production aspect that will buy all this from the farmers in the area. And he's right. Between the, the Midwest regional states, we have all the farmland in the, in the country. So and that's, I mean, it would be huge. Else. It would be yeah. huge for you know somebody like an Elon Musk to locate here. It would be a uh, Elon, Mr. Musk. Are you catching the note there? We're, <laughs> yes. we're making a lobby for this for you. Six one eight. We'll put. We're not going to put Mitch's number out. <laughs> uh, so the question that I have for you, and this is one that I've got high hopes on you answering. Right, right. Because I've been asking it all year long. Right. So uh, let's face it. Innovators are shit disturbers, of which you are one. Right. What's your favorite shit disturber moment? <clears throat> well, we, our agency Zipatoni had worked for Anheuser-Busch for several years and they were, they were a challenging client at the time because they didn't do agency of record contracts. And, you know, I was looking at my business and we were getting clients on the East Coast and the West Coast. And so we were making more money from people who were spending much less with us and putting all our resources towards the thousand pound gorilla. So we decided to change and go to work for Miller 
and which we had to resign Anheuser-Busch to do, which was painful, but we did. And to introduce the agency to many of the uh, upper level, you know, marketers and salespeople, we did a Wall Street Journal. We printed we actually used the printer in St. Louis that prints the Wall Street Journal. And we did all the, we made it look exactly like it with the writers and the little, you know, spent a fortune doing this. And all these great little, you know, articles introducing employees to them. And then on the back side, we did a full page ad that said, Miller Brewing exposes the fact that Anheuser-Busch has not been Beechwood aging their Budweiser for 100 years. No. Yes. So what we did was work with the mailroom to get all of their um, Wall Street journals wrapped with our cover. So they just show up and open their paper and start reading and see this you know, this ad, and I remember the VP of marketing came screaming out of his office. (laughs) Who the hell are these people? And one of the guys goes, it's a joke. It's It's a joke. joke. Wait. (laughs) That is great. It was so fun. That's got to be one of those moments. Do you think they'll ever forget us? Never. Never. You're you're in. You're in. You're in. This is. Love uh, us or hate us saying going to forget us. I love that. Yeah. Mitch, this has been an absolute joy to have you on the program. I mean, we could actually do two or three segments more talking about not just your career, but I think the cannabis industry as a whole. It's it's really, really fascinating. Once again, I want to make sure I give you this website. It's creativecannabisconsultancy.com. Go there, see what's going on with Mitch and her team. Uh, Mitch Myers has been my guest. Join me uh, next week. Uh, Once again, you can reach me at andy.ford at brado.net. Thank you for being with us and being a part of the Innovation Insiders. And join us again. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you for listening this week to Innovation Insiders with Grotto Creative Insight. Please join host Andy Ford again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, innovate.